This morning we're going to continue in week two of our uh, new, new sermon series. We started last week, Psalms of Hope. Uh, Psalms of Hope. Last week we began sort of strangely almost in Psalm 13, not traditionally considered a psalm of hope, but a psalm of lament. But we saw last week that the hope that we have in lament and our ability to cry out to God in the midst of our pain with our real, raw emotions and our struggles to appeal to him and to know that God listens, he hears us, and he cares, and to know beyond that that we can trust him because God is sovereign. He's, he's totally in charge. God is good. He's promised to work all things together for our good uh, if we, we love him and are called according to his purposes. And even our heartaches, he will work together ultimately for good, and he's faithful. God will always follow through on his promises. And this morning we're going to see even more of the same. We're going to behold even more of God's goodness, his glory, in one of the most well-known and well-loved passages in not just the Psalms, but in all of Scripture. Uh, before I became a dad to my two amazing, beautiful uh, human children, I was first made a father by our much furrier, uh, much more unruly canine child, uh, Bentley. And I, I loved that dog, and I say I, I loved her in the past tense, not because she's dead, she's still with us, unfortunately, but um, <laughs> I just don't love her anymore. Everybody, everybody told us, just wait till you have kids, she'll get kicked out to the doghouse, and I thought, never. You know, I love this dog. Last night, I let her out to use the bathroom, and she escaped through her invisible fence, and she crossed the street, she was roaming through the coyote-infested woods, uh, and the next neighborhood over for, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes. I wasn't really paying attention. Um, eventually she came back. I was just mad she kept me waiting up to go to bed so long. Once upon a time, I would have been beside myself. I, I would have gone out there to, to be with her, to supervise while she was using the bathroom. I would have cheered her on when she did her business. Good job, Benners. You know? And then if she tried to run across the street, I would have screamed and chased after her into the coyote-infested woods because I loved her. Right? When she was a puppy, uh, I used to, we used to live near this giant horse pasture, and every evening after work, I'd walk her over there at sunset and let her off the leash, watch her chase deer and swim in the creek. And It was my favorite part of the day because she loved it. And watching her so free, so alive, so happy would always just bring a smile to my face. And this morning, Psalm 23 paints a picture for us of what a loving father, the kind of relationship he desires to have with us. It gives us a glimpse into the look on his face when he watches you and me experience that kind of joy and blessing in this life. When he provides it for us in his sovereign goodness, King David, who penned these famous words uses two metaphors here a shepherd with his sheep in verses one through four and then even more intimately a father with his son in verses five and six david employs both these metaphors to drive home one central glorious truth that god cares for us god really cares for us and as much as we intuitively all love this psalm we're inherently drawn to its beautiful promise that God cares for us like a good shepherd, like a loving father. We were made for that promise. We were made for relationship with him. 
to find our, our hope ultimately and utterly in Him, but at the same time, many of us will struggle to accept this promise this morning for one of three reasons. Number one, some of us really good religious folk, especially in the evangelical church world, have so reduced Christianity to a set of theological tenets that must be intellectually assented to, a statement of faith that needs to be signed off on, that we have lost sight of the fact that God is a person, not a doctrine, and that what God has been after all along is relationship with us. It's not our signature on a statement of faith. It's a relationship, a loving relationship. Jesus didn't die to fill our heads with knowledge. He died to fill our hearts with his love, with his spirit. What we need this morning is more than information. We need transformation. We need a new way of relating to God and to ourselves, and only Jesus can accomplish that for us. Number two, some of us will struggle this morning to, to uh, accept the, the, the glorious truths of Psalm 23 because we'll struggle to see ourselves as sheep. When I explain the analogy to you in just a moment, you're going to bristle and you're going to take offense because you don't think you need a shepherd. God has not yet opened your eyes to your desperate need for his care, for his provision, for his guidance, for his peace, for his rescuing love. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. But some of you haven't yet come to know him as your shepherd. And so you can't bring yourself to accept the fact that you are a needy sheep. And third, and just the opposite, some of you this morning will struggle to believe that there is actually a shepherd who would even put up with you, much less cross, uh, run across a, a busy street and chase after you in their pajamas through their neighbor's backyard in the dead of night into coyote-infested woods to chase after you and pursue you. Some of you cannot accept that idea that when you run, when you rebel against him, he pursues you. That concept is totally foreign to you. But friends, I want to show you this morning and encourage you, give you hope straight from God's word, show you who you really are, who Jesus really is, and how much he really cares for you, not because of who you are, but because of who he is, okay? So would you stand with me as you're able as we read together God's Word? I, uh, I would love to have us once again with this passage actually read it out loud together. Perhaps some of you might be able to recite it. You memorized it in Sunday school growing up. No pressure if you haven't. The words are going to be on the screen. Um, but I would encourage you if you haven't to spend time this next week meditating on memorizing Psalm 23 this next week. It will be well worth your time and your effort. Short six verses, so jam-packed with, with glorious truths about who God is. Would you recite it with me? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness, for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Father, we thank you that you are faithful, that every promise in your word proves true, that we can count on, we can take these promises of who you are, who you are for us to the bank. There is good as done already. You provide for us, you care for us, you lead us, you guide us, you restore us, you love us. Father, I pray this morning that if anyone here does not yet know you as their good shepherd, God, I pray that you would do the work that only you, Holy Spirit, can do. We need more than information. We do need heart transformation. God, all of us, but especially those who are not yet in your flock. God, I pray that you would call sheep to yourself this morning. You would draw them that you would lead them, you would ins- yourself empower them toward paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I said, this morning we find our hope in the truth of who God is for us as we begin to unpack all of these promises in just these six short verses. I find ten Promises, ten roles that God vows to play in our lives if we will let him. We're going to cover the first five this morning. So you can just scratch scratch your bulletin there. And we're going to save the the second half for part two next Sunday. There's just too much good here to unpack in one week. So number one is the Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. Now before we even get to the shepherd part, I want you to notice three things. About the first couple words here. Notice... Number one, that the chapter begins in verse one here and and ends in verse six with the Lord. Begins and ends with the Lord because God is the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and the omega. He is the source of all our hope from beginning to end. Notice number two, that David uses the personal name for God here. Anytime you see the word Lord in all caps in your Bible like this, it means the Hebrew author is using God's personal name, Yahweh. Often David simply addresses God as Elohim. That's his title. It's like the difference between you calling me pastor and you calling me Will. There's a place for the respect that is conveyed by the title. There's also a place for those who are close enough, who are familiar enough, who are intimate enough for addressing even God by his personal name. And I would just submit to you this morning that how you address someone says a lot about your relationship to them, doesn't it? Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, Abba, Dad. He desires and expects for us from His adopted sons and daughters that kind of true intimacy, closeness with God. And so I just ask you this morning, what do your prayers say about your relationship to God? Is He that kind of an intimate father to you is he personal and lastly notice number three speaking of getting personal david says the lord is a shepherd 
the Lord is our shepherd? He says, the Lord is what? My shepherd. My shepherd. He declares in Psalm 18, I love you, Yahweh. My strength. Yahweh is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, my shield, my salvation, my stronghold. He's mine. He's mine. He's personal. And so I ask you again, friends, is God your shepherd? I have no doubt that God is a shepherd. I'm confident he is our shepherd here collectively at West Hills. Is he yours? Is he yours? Can you personally and confidently say he's my shepherd? What does it mean to call God our shepherd? Few of us today have have ever even met an actual shepherd, I suspect, in West County, St. Louis. Uh, David was one for years, so he knew exactly what he meant when he used this analogy before he was anointed king. He was a shepherd. It's one of the most common metaphors for God in Scripture in describing his relationship to us. Jacob declared in Genesis 48, God has been my shepherd all my life long. Asaph recounts how God led his people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And in response, we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks. Because, Psalm 95, he is our God, we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Now, there's no sense beating around the bush. Sheep are stupid and stubborn. Sheep require more meticulous, continual care than any other form of livestock, farmers will tell us. Isaiah 53, 6 says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own ways. David knew this as a shepherd. He realized this about himself as a human. Psalm 51, that he is sinful from birth, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And so David begs God in Psalm 28, save your people, be their shepherd. God, I need you to be my shepherd. And here is God's promise to us. Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock. I will gather the remnant of my flock and I will bring them back to their fold. I will care for them and they shall fear no more the heart of this metaphor is this that as hard-headed and as wayward as we so often are as sheep we have a good shepherd who is even more compassionate who is even more caring who is even more concerned with the well-being of his sheep here's how isaiah describes god he says he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. You will not find a more tender, gentle, loving depiction of God in all of Scripture than that. That is how he cares for you, friend. That's the kind of father and shepherd he is. But a shepherd doesn't just care. Number two, he provides as well. It's part of what it means for him to care is He's a provider. David says, because God is my caring shepherd, I shall not want. Now, let's just pause right there. Because that is quite a statement. I shall not 
want. Some of you will be tempted to stop listening right here, tune the rest of this out, write off the rest of God's promises in the Bible because you think that is demonstrably false. I can prove that that one is, is just inaccurate. I don't, I don't think of myself as being super materialistic. I don't need a lot of stuff to make me happy. I have bigger sins to struggle with than that. But I shared with y'all a few weeks ago that I used to be really into cars, right? This past week, getting on 141 from my house to head up here to church for work, and I get passed by an Audi R8, a Lamborghini Diablo, a Ferrari uh, F8 Tributo, and a McLaren 576. That's a four-car, one-million-dollar caravan. And I'll be honest, I drooled a little. And for a fleeting moment, I thought to myself, I want to be in that club. I want to be in that driver's seat. Is, is Psalm 23.1 promising us that if we follow God, we will never have an unmet desire in our hearts again? No, no. The Hebrew word here for want doesn't mean desire. It means more like lack. I'll never lack anything, and specifically, anything that God deems good for me. Psalm 84.11 says, No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. Do you believe that one? God knows a Lamborghini would not be good for me, would not do good things to my heart. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. Now, that's pretty easy for me to accept with regard to a Ferrari. God knows I don't need a Ferrari, but what about you? What about when you lose your job? Yeah, I mean, you, you got to pay the bill somehow, right? What about when you get evicted from your apartment? What about... Those of you who have been praying and trying for kids for years, you've been praying and waiting for a spouse, a companion for years. Do you have the faith to trust that if God has not yet provided that child, that spouse, that job, that it must not be good for you, at least not right now? Do you believe that God's timing and his ways, his will is perfect every time? Will you choose to trust in his promise that no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly? And will you keep walking uprightly by faith even when you don't understand what he's doing and understand his ways? That is hard, friends. But that is real faith. That is real trust in a shepherd's leading. And we can trust God to provide because he really is a good loving, faithful shepherd. I can't prove that to you logically. I can't argue you into believing that. You have to come to know him as such, experience him for yourself personally as such, as a good, caring shepherd. And don't forget last week's message that our future hope is rooted in God's past faithfulness because even those of us who have begun to believe this and we've made that first step of faith and trusted in Jesus we will doubt it you will doubt this thousands of times in your life of faith 
we need to be reminded that our future hope is rooted in God's past faithfulness. If he's gotten me this far, why would he stop now? Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So don't be surprised, by the way, if God hasn't yet provided for you. Because what did he just say his deadline is in Philippians 1? It's the day of Jesus Christ. It's the day when he returns in glory or you go and meet him face to face. That means that there will be times in this life until God returns or you go meet him, there will be times when like David in Psalm 13 last week, you find yourself crying out, how long, O Lord, will you go on not providing this thing that I think I need? And the answer will be, not long. Not long. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Romans 8. And the good news is that he has promised to sustain you until that day, to provide for you everything that you need along the way until that day. And that means if you're not perfect yet, if you don't have everything you want or need yet, that means take heart because God is still working in your life. He's still at work perfecting that good work that he began. But you and I have a decision to make this morning. We have two, two choices, right? We can decide to believe in that promise, trust God to provide our every need, or we can live a life of constant discontentment that perpetually says, I'll be happy when blank. And whatever fills in that blank is always going to change. It's a moving target, right? Because as soon as you get the promotion, you want the raise that goes with it. As soon as you get the husband, you want the kids that go with him. And nothing will kill the sheep's joy faster than the endless search for greener pastures elsewhere. If no matter where God leads you, no matter how green the pasture is, how still the water is, if the grass is always greener for you in someone else's pasture, you will be a miserable sheep and you will convince yourself that he's a lousy shepherd. But if you will trust God to be a good and caring shepherd, you can say like David in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you want to have all the wants and desires and hopes and dreams of your heart fulfilled, set them on the Lord. Set them on the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he promises in that case, he will give you your desires because then your desire will be for intimacy with him. And he wants that with you just as much as you do. He wants it more. In fact, he died to make it possible. Number three, the Lord is my peace. He's my peace. Verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This is a continuation of point number two, God provides, because to a sheep, green pastures mean what? Food, right? To a sheep, still waters mean quenched thirst after miles of tracking through the Middle Eastern desert. But it's more than just provision. These are peaceful images, aren't they? The, 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 the 
picture that David is painting for us, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I have to be careful the voice that I read it in, or some of y'all are going to get an early start on your Sunday afternoon naps. When I was a kid, I went through a phase where I had trouble falling asleep at night. I would listen to these cassette tapes of this woman speaking in a really soft voice trying to coax me to sleep. I think Psalm 23 was her material, right? It, it should have been. Imagine you're in the middle of a luscious green pasture. You lie down, feel every muscle in your body relax. You hear the gentle trickle of still water nearby. That's, that's the image David is going for here. And the point is, God brings us peace. Paul prays in 2 Thessalonians 3.16, May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way. God wants peace for us in all times, in every way. Isaiah 26.3, You keep him in perfect peace, God, whose mind is stayed on you because, why? He trusts in you. We hear in the New Testament, God is himself our peace. 1 Corinthians 4, 14, 33, our God is a God of peace. Ephesians 2, 14 says of Jesus, he himself is our peace. Jesus assured his disciples in John 16, 33, in me you have peace because John 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus says, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but the world these days doesn't have a lot of peace to offer you. I don't know if you've turned on the news lately, checked your social media feed. Like if you thought that PPE, the, the personal protective equipment was in short order, that's nothing compared to the shortage of peace. And Jesus, in the midst of that, says, not with me. David says, not with my shepherd. He's the prince of peace. He beckons us, come to me, all who are labor, who, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Give you rest, peace, green pastures still waters. That's what God offers you and me this morning. Now, it's important to know, he does not promise us that life is always going to be a bed of roses. It's, it, he does not promise it's all giggles and rainbows. We, we, we're going to talk next week about what it means to have peace as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The same loving shepherd who leads us into cozy green pastures at other times in life for his own good purposes leads us into the darkest valleys. Jesus never promised his followers a life of comfort, actually just the opposite. He said in John 16, in the world you will have tribulation, you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That means that even when we walk through those dark valleys, we don't have to fear because why? You are with me. The Prince of Peace is with us, and he is himself our peace. Number four, he's our restorer. The Lord restores my soul. Proverbs 18, 14 says, A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a broken spirit who can bear. That is so true, isn't it? My, I, my sort of adopted grandparents from childhood recently both contracted COVID. 
They're both in their late 80s. Papaw was in much worse physical health going into it than Nanny was. And he ended up passing away last week. And she has been recovering now physically. She's on the mend. But I will tell you, all the way through the past two weeks, today, I pray way more for her than I did for him. Why? Because a broken body is one thing. But a broken spirit, who can bear? Papaw went, Papaw crossed that, you know, proverbial stream smiling. He knew where he was going. He, he finally got to go home. But Nanny, you know, to know that she had to press on, leaving behind, enduring this, this broken mess of a world of ours for another five, ten years now without the love of her life from 65 years, no thank you. Friends, there's only one cure for that kind of a broken spirit. Psalm 147.3 says, The Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Now, in the midst of that, don't forget the metaphor, right? The metaphor is the sheep. The Hebrew word for soul here can also mean life, nefesh, life. The Lord restores, he returns the sheep's life. Skip Heidsick uh, explains the context here. He says one of the common problems that sheep have is being cast, a cast sheep. This is a sheep who wanders from the fold, lies down in a comfortable place, a little depression in the ground. He turns over a little too much. He tries to shift and gets stuck on his back, almost like a turtle. And, and the sheep cannot get back up on his feet. Gases build up in his abdomen, cutting off its circulation, and the sheep will die unless the shepherd finds it, restores it, picks it back up, and brings it back to the fold. Maybe some of you here this morning, if you're honest, are cast sheep. Listen, some of us have broken spirits for reasons totally out of our control. Right? You recently lo lost your own loved one. Or you're exhausted simply trying to keep up and single parent, you know, and, and homeschool and work and all of that now. You suffer from a chemical imbalance, results in clinical depression. There are lots of reasons for crushed spirits these days. But some of us, if we're honest, have done it to ourselves. We are cast sheep. We have strayed from the path, the path of righteousness that our good shepherd has been trying to lead us in. We found our own little pastures instead, a spot that looks nice, it feels nice for a little while, right, so you get a little too comfortable there. You kick your legs up and you settle in. And after a while, you find that you're in a giant rut. Right, you can't seem to get out of, and the side effects start to kick in, right? The gases start to build up. And you realize you're going to be in real trouble here soon if you do not stop your kicking and if you don't call out for the only shepherd who can right your life, who can restore your soul, who can lead you back to the path of righteousness. And by the way, how does he do it? Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. God does it through his word. God's word is perfect. His word alone has the power to bring dead souls back to life and restore them.
finally, number five, the Lord is my guide. This word is also a lamp unto our feet, light unto our path, right? Verse three, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Is anyone here tired this morning of making decisions? Decision fatigue is a real thing. Is it safe to take the kids with me to the grocery store? Is it any safer to drop them off at my crazy sister's house who thinks COVID is just a government conspiracy? In-person school or virtual? Wait a minute, you made the decision for, it's all virtual now? Okay, now am I gonna private school or homeschool? Do I need to wear a mask in this group? What about that group? Wouldn't it be so nice if just one decision these days was easy? Can I encourage you this morning in this world filled with thousands of little unsettling decisions you have to make every day, thousands of tiny diverging roads you have to choose from, that the biggest decision that faces you and me this morning is the easiest one you will ever make. Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to follow? It's an easy choice. Follow Jesus. He's been leading people in paths of righteousness for 2,000 years now. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's the path you want to be on, friends. He is the path of righteousness that you don't want to stray from. But here's the thing, two things. Number one, you can't find that path on your own. You have to be led to it. Jesus said, no one knows God unless I choose to reveal him to you, Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27. Therefore, you better pray like King David in Psalm 25, make me know thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me for thou art the God of my salvation. And number two, Choosing Jesus may be the easiest, best, most obvious choice you'll ever make, but staying on the path is another story. Anyone who has tried to walk with him for, for any number of, of years of time now knows that, right? Because Jesus says the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Wait a minute, that's not encouraging. Why is it so hard? Well, again, we're stupid, stubborn, straying sheep. It's hard for us to stay on the straight and narrow. We need a guide. We are utterly lost without a guide. But here's the good news this morning, friends. Not only has Jesus made the path of righteousness clear to us, not only is he the way, not only has he invited us, called us, chosen us, led us to the path, not only does he promise to sustain us, to be our constant guide and companion on that difficult path so that we never have to walk alone. He says, I'm with you. But the best news of all is that Jesus has actually gone before us and walked the path of righteousness that you and I never could. The Bible says, no one is righteous, no, not one. So if you are counting on your own ability to walk the path of righteousness, you are in serious trouble, friends. The good news is that God has devised a better plan. Romans 8, God sent his own son for sin in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in him. Jesus paid God the perfect obedience that you and I should have but couldn't. And then in his love, Romans 5, while we were yet sinners, Christ 
died for us to willingly trade his righteousness for your unrighteousness so that we might be called sons and daughters of God. That's the gospel. That's the good news, friends. Jesus is the good news. Every single line of this beautiful song points us ahead 1,000 years to its ultimate fulfillment in him, in Jesus. He is our loving shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says, Isaiah 53, 6, that though we all like sheep have gone astray, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That 1 Peter 2, 25, while we were straying like sheep, Jesus has now returned us to the great shepherd and overseer of our souls. He's the kind of shepherd who leaves the 99 to chase across the street in his pajamas into the woods for the one, for you, for you. Jesus is a faithful provider. He is himself our provision. He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger again. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. He's our provision. He's our peace. Ephesians 2, he himself is our peace. He reconciles us to God through the cross, killing the hostility. You and I have no peace with God, save for by his sacrifice outside of Jesus's atoning sacrifice in our place to appease God's righteous wrath against sin you and I rightfully stand condemned in our trespasses but Jesus's cross kills that hostility between us and reconciles us to God Romans 5 1 since we have been justified by faith we now have what peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and in that way he is also the restorer of our souls. And lastly, he is our guide. He shows us the way, the only way, back to the Father. And he doesn't just show us, he makes the way possible. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And why does he do it? This is last point, conclusion. Bring it home. Maybe the most important of all, though, so please hear this. Jesus does it for his name's sake. He does it for his name's sake. Yes, Jesus loves us, but his gracious leading and shepherding care in your life is not first and foremost for your sake. It's for his sake. Let me tell you why that's good news. Number one, it's good news that our God is passionate about his own glory because he should be. He's the center of the universe. He's the only thing that's worth caring about that much, even for him. It's good that God is selfishly, jealously uh, concerned with his own glory. But more than that, here's why it's good for us. If God's shepherding in our lives is for his own name's sake, that means that when we inevitably screw up, when you and I fall short, when we stray from the path, we don't have to worry that he might give up on us because his love for you was never dependent on anything in you in the first place. It's because of himself. I heard a pastor define it this way recently. He said, agape love, unconditional love, biblical God's love means that God loves you not for anything in you, but for something that's in him. 
because of something in his nature, in his character. W.S. Plumer says it this way, that which moves God to save his people is found in him, not in them. And that's good news for sinners like you and me, friends. It's good news that God's love isn't tied to anything in us, but in his own unchanging, holy, good, compassionate, fatherly care for us. And so the only question left for us this morning is, are you following him? Is he your shepherd, personally? You know the difference between a shepherd and a rancher? Ranchers drive cattle from behind. Shepherds lead sheep from in front. Jesus won't drive you this morning. He has no interest in hurting you into loving him. He simply invites you. He welcomes you to follow him. Will he be your shepherd this morning? Let's pray.